Now I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I wanted to start by sharing with you something that I read this week. It went like this. Jesus said unto them, But whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the ground of all being, of whom no positive attribute may be predicated. Thou art the focus of our ultimate concern, transcending both existence and non-existence, ontologically, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit in a matter that neither confuses the persons nor divides the substances. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What? <laughs> Theology uh, is, again, the study of the discussion about who God is. But a lot of what we discuss and learn about can't be found directly in Scripture. However, the answers to the questions that theology raises, like who is God, can be found in Scripture. Many of us had questions about God before we came to faith. Many of us still have questions. But we can be thankful that through His Word, God has given us answers, at least the answers that we need. And since then, those answers have been compiled, put together to help explain and to help us understand what it is that we believe. Together, we spent the first part of the summer going through the first part of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and we saw that it is a dense and in-depth unpacking of the gospel, what we believe to be the good news that God loves the world and offers salvation from sin through his Son, Jesus Christ. The good news that we are saved by grace through faith. That we're saved not by what we do, but by believing in God, in Jesus, and in the forgiveness that he offers each one of us. And many of you are probably familiar with our regular practice during our worship gatherings whenever we remember and celebrate what God has done for us by taking communion, that we first take a pause to stand and together affirm what we believe about the good news of what God has done for us. And we do this through the words of the creed, we sometimes say the Nicene Creed at our 8.30 service, and here at our 10.15 gathering, we say the Apostles' Creed together. Why do we do this? And why do we do it so often? Is it simply because it's one of our traditions? Is it just because it's the Anglican way? Is it because so much has changed in our Anglican worship, especially in our more contemporary-style services, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so, you know, we just have to at least keep the creed and the Lord's Prayer. Thankfully, there is more to it than that. My sister and her family are attending a non-denominational church near where they live, 
This church is not Anglican, but they have a new pastor, and he's familiar with Anglicanism. He even explored it as a possible path for ordination. And his wife grew up attending a very well-known Anglican church in England called Holy Trinity Brompton. Some of you may have heard of it. Nicky Gumbel, who's the gentleman who developed the Alpha Course, and we heard Brian share about that a couple weeks ago. Nicky Gumbel was the pastor there until his recent retirement. So my sister's church has recently experienced a blessing uh, and a challenge of an influx, post-pandemic influx of newcomers from quite varied backgrounds and also from different churches. So again, it's a blessing and a challenge, and there is a feeling there that it's a little bit here, there, and everywhere. So this new pastor, who has some familiarity with our Anglican expressions of worship, felt that there was a need to bring some cohesiveness, some unity. And one of the things they introduced one week to try to do this was the statement of faith that we recite on a regular basis, the creed. Now, for some of you here today, the creed's very familiar. You could probably recite it easily with your eyes closed. Although, if you're like me, you might get tripped up remembering which creed it is you're trying to say. That being said, I'm sure there are also some here today, perhaps some listening, and certainly many in the church today, for whom the creed is not familiar. And so it came as no surprise that after the creed was introduced at my sister's church, the pastor got an email from somebody. This person had a problem with the creed. And the problem was with one part in particular. Can anybody guess which part that might have been? They didn't understand why we still have to affirm the Catholic Church. Because, you know, there has been some animosity between the Protestant and Catholic Church in the past. And to be fair, it's an understandable question. Even I recited the creed for many years thinking it was just sort of a remnant from the past that hadn't been changed. And this is because the word Catholic has come to mean something different to most of the world. It is now used to describe the Roman Catholic Church, a denomination. Of course, for those of you that do read along, when we say the creed together on Sunday morning, you probably recall there's always a little asterisk uh, next to the word Catholic that briefly explains but that the word isn't referring to one church in particular, but rather that it means universal. The whole church across the globe, across and throughout history. The creed is a universal statement of faith. It's not just an Anglican thing. It's not a Roman Catholic thing. The creed is and has been the shared statement of faith for all Christians since it was introduced, long before any denominations exist. Now, our catechism to be a Christian here serves as an in-depth exploration and unpacking of what it means to be a Christian. It's very aptly named. And it begins by explaining, all genuine Christians affirm that authentic Christianity rests on the historic eyewitness testimony of Jesus' first followers, the apostles. Their eyewitness testimony to the actual events of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, present heavenly reign, 
and promised future return. We learn about these key events, including what they mean and how they hold together from Scripture. And therefore, we affirm that the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament contained in the Bible are God's Word, written. Now, by the second century, the early church had organized all these essentials of Christian faith, what it is we believe, into an outline of topics for further instruction and discussion. And this outline came to be known as the Apostles' Creed. And it's called the Apostles' Creed because it provides this outline, it sums up, it gathers and focuses the central truths of the Christian faith, our faith, as has been handed down to us from and through the apostles. Later on, as response to teachings that were starting to veer away from the early church's agreed-upon understanding of these eyewitness testimony of the teaching of the apostles, as received through Scripture, the creed was then expanded upon with a few more central truths inserted here and there. And this happened at the Council of Nicaea two centuries later to give us the Nicene Creed. Concerning creeds, our catechism explains that most simply put, a creed is a statement of faith. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which simply means I believe. The Apostles' Creed begins with I, and it is meant as a personal statement of faith, and so the Apostles' Creed came to be widely used by the church as a declaration of faith at baptism something we've had the privilege of witnessing a few times over the last year. The Nicene Creed begins with we, and it's meant to be a statement of faith that is shared by the universal, the Catholic small c church. And the purpose of both creeds is to declare what we believe. The essential truths about God, the church, and the world as revealed in Scripture. The purpose is also then to safeguard this, to keep it intact, to protect it from influence of individuals and their opinions and their agendas, and certainly the influence of cultural pressures. To protect, to safeguard this, and then to pass this shared faith down from generation to generation. So the creed is a summary of what all Christians are called to believe in order to call themselves Christians. And when we stand together and affirm that we believe it, this signifies acceptance of that truth as God revealed it. It also signifies an intention to live according to that truth. So when the Bible, when we read in Paul, when it shares that all we need to do to be saved is have faith. The creed explains for us what we have faith in. And this means we can't pick and choose just the parts we understand or the parts we like and ignore the rest. If the creed is a summary of all of what all Christians are called to believe in order to call themselves Christians, this means if you don't believe some of it, if you don't believe all of it, do you really believe any of it? Why do I say this? Well, if we turn to the Creed and look at how it begins, we see that the Apostles' Creed 
begins with four words that summarize, that encapsulate everything else. I believe in God. The Nicene Creed begins with, we believe in one God. Now you notice it doesn't start with the church, doesn't even start with the Bible. It starts with God. And the creed goes on to answer the question, who is God? Distills the teaching of the Bible and reflects on the nature of the triune God. Kids are amazing. That was the second answer we got. All of this asserts that God is one. One divine being, eternally existing in three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, just as Peter shared earlier this morning. That's not a real, that's not from the Bible. That's a made-up story, just to clarify. The Creed is arranged then in three paragraphs, which highlight the work of the Father, the Creator, the Son. That's the longest, most in-depth paragraph focusing on the person and work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and how this relates to Christian salvation. But the point today is that we can believe all of what the Creed has to say, and we should believe all of what the Creed has to say. We can believe it if we do believe the first line, if we do believe in God, the omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnibenevolent, all-good, creator of all that is. Kids got that part right away too. The creator of all that exists and has ever existed and ever will exist. If we can believe in that, then all that follows can be accepted as believable as well because God is God. And that means nothing is impossible. And so nothing is impossible to believe. That being said, though, we also understand that it can be difficult, that there are parts of our statement of faith that are challenging for some. And we shouldn't just ignore this or write it off as a lack of faith or of not being a good enough Christian. Grappling with certain aspects of our unchanging, ancient faith in an ever-changing, modern world is a normal condition, a normal part of being human. And it's something we should probably do. It's good to wrestle with our questions, even with our doubts. It's certainly better to wrestle with them and face them head on than to just leave them in the background festering in the shadows until they ambush us at the opportune moment, usually during a time of weakness. It's okay to have questions. And it's important to remember that God understands this because Jesus lived among us as one of us. He understands what we're going through. He had his 12 disciples with him. They had questions. We just heard about Thomas having doubts and Jesus had grace and understood this, welcomed it. Grappling is a part of being human. So it's okay that we don't have everything figured out. However, we should also remember that God does have it all figured out, always has. And he has given us the answers, or at least the answers that we need. So while it is okay to have and ask questions, and it's okay to grapple with our faith, what's not okay is to come up with 
answers on our own, to make up answers that we consider sensible, acceptable, easy to digest, that fit in better with the world as we see it. And this is what so often happens when we try to grapple with these questions or doubts on our own steam. There's a difference between seeking truth and creating it. Our creed presents us with the truth of our faiths, truth that has been received through the apostles, through scripture, and has been agreed upon and handed down by countless fellow Christians throughout the ages before us, many of whom were far more intelligent, far more learned than you or I. And so we should believe all that it has to say because our catechism states that to reject any element of the creed signifies a departure from the Christian faith. The church has received these creeds that we say, that we declare, that we affirm together on a regular basis. We believe the words that we say from the Apostles' Creed and the words of the Nicene Creed, the expanded version that we say together at our 830 prayer book service. We, along with the whole church, throughout the whole history of the church, receive and believe the words of the whole of both of these creeds. And we can use these words as a statement of what we believe because we know and can see for ourselves that they are grounded in Scripture. They're echoed in passages throughout Scripture, like 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 11, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. If you read those, they read a lot like our creeds. And so we know and can see for ourselves that they are faithful expressions of its teaching. Our catechism again affirms that as a whole, the creed testifies to the vital core of God's self-revelation, how he's revealed himself to us for our salvation. It's a consensus agreed upon, declaration, that comes to us with the resounding universal endorsement of fellow faithful believers over nearly 2,000 years. It's been recited by Christian communities throughout the history of the church, something that it is a privilege and an honor for us to be a part of. And it serves as a benchmark of orthodoxy, of right belief, guiding our understanding of God's revealed truth at points where our own sin-clouded minds might go astray. It is a summary of biblical truths that is designed to lead inquirers, seekers, those with questions, even those with doubts, into a grounded, firm foundation of personal faith in the triune God. Now, you may have started thinking to yourself, why are you talking about this? This isn't the usual exposition of Scripture that we're used to. The reason is because we are going to spend the next few months journeying together through the words of the Creed. And I hope that it will present us with an opportunity to grapple with some of the aspects of our unchanging faith in an ever-changing modern world that are challenging either for you or for people you know. I hope that we will have an opportunity to look at these questions in much the same way the Alpha Course that, again, we heard Brian share about that Nikki Gumbel developed. The Alpha Course was developed to help seekers, those with questions, even those with doubts, find answers. And so again, I hope this will be helpful to you, but also to you so that you can have something to bring to those who have questions who may ask you.
I do hope and pray that our journey together through the creeds will be exciting, that it'll be affirming, and perhaps even illuminating for all of us. And I also hope that through this journey, we will come to know and understand on a deeper level how each of the declarations that we make together is rooted in Scripture, how these beliefs are essential to our faith, as well as to living out our faith in our daily lives and in our lives together as the church. So that as we heard God command in our reading from Deuteronomy this morning, they truly are bound, grafted, etched upon our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our bodies, so that our faith truly is the foundation, the starting point, is at the forefront of everything that we think, feel, and do. That it is who we are. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of who you are, for the truth of who you have revealed yourself to us to be. We thank you that who you are isn't relative to what we decide upon or understand or what the world thinks. We thank you that you are the great I am, that you are who you are, and that we can trust in this and take comfort in it, and take comfort in your unchangingness, that you are the solid rock on whom we can build our lives. And as we journey together through our shared statement of faith that your church has received, through your apostles, through your word to us, your word written. We pray, would you help each one of us to grow deeper in our faith, in our understanding, and in living our lives as Christians. We pray this in Jesus' name.